With the biggest series maybe in over a decade for the Orioles in the regular season starting tonight, I know they didn't want to go into it with a series loss to the St. Louis Cardinals, but that's what happened as the O's were blanked by their old friend Drew Rahm on Wednesday night. I'll recap it all, plus Ryan Mountcastle's injury, coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, September 14th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap a tough 1-0 loss for the Orioles against the St. Louis Cardinals on Wednesday night as they drop two out of three in the series. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one, including Drew Rahm's stellar performance, a great start from Kyle Gibson, and Ryan Mountcastle leaving the game with an injury. Then we'll talk about the Orioles' roster move from Wednesday as Cole Irvin has been sent to AAA. What does that mean for his future for the rest of the season with this team as Nick Vespi has returned for the O's and potentially a future roster move. If Mountcastle's hurt, who could be the guy who replaces him on the roster? And finally, we'll take our first look. Today is the day. Orioles raise. Pivotal four-game series starts tonight. We'll preview game one of that set coming up at the end of the podcast. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. So we start today with an Orioles loss, and it was a tough one to swallow. Certainly a tough one to watch on Wednesday night. Final score, Cardinals 1 and Orioles nothing from Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday. And despite the O's winning game one of this series 11-5 on Monday night, they lose a series to a Cardinals team that is 16 games under 500, losing 5-2 Tuesday and one nothing on Wednesday. The Orioles had won seven consecutive series coming into this one against the Cards. And, I mean, you got to give credit to St. Louis. That just finished up a road trip for the Cardinals where they just kind of casually went on the road and took a series from three playoff teams. They won two out of three against the Braves on the road, won two out of three against the Reds on the road, and then won two out of three against the Orioles on the road. So clearly the Cardinals playing much better baseball as of late. It does make me feel a little bit better to know less than a week ago the Cardinals just did this exact same thing to the Atlanta Braves the best team in baseball, so they do it to the second-best team in baseball in this one on Wednesday night. But with the loss, the Orioles stay in first place in the AL East, which is important, but they do fall back one game in the standings in terms of their lead because the Rays did defeat the Twins 5-4 on Wednesday. A ninth-inning home run by Randy Arozarena was the difference, And the Orioles now at 91-54 and have just a two-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays as they start the pivotal four-game series between the two teams tonight. But first, I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 1-0 loss to the St. Louis Cardinals. And the first thing you need to know is the Orioles' offense just, it just never woke up in this game. Like, truly never got anything going. They did walk a little bit, which was nice, but the Orioles were shut out and had just three hits in this game. Now they were patient enough, right? Like five walks, that's a solid count for a nine inning game. 
But they only had three hits. It was a Jorge Mateo infield single with two outs in the fifth that broke up the no-hitter. It was a Anthony Santander one-out double in the sixth. And then it was the Gunnar Henderson two-out triple in the bottom of the ninth where, I mean, he missed a home run by only a little bit like off the bat. I thought that ball might have had a chance with the O's down to their final out to bring them more magic and tie the game. It was 107 off the bat. It only would have been a home run in one of 30 ballparks, but uh, he launched that thing 382 feet. Unfortunately, it was a two-out triple, and then Aaron Hicks popped out against Ryan Helsley to end the game, stranding the tying runner at third. But the O's didn't really have a lot of chances with runners in scoring position. They were only in this game 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. It wasn't like Tuesday night when they were 1 for 12 in those spots. Jorge Mateo did walk and then steal second to start the third inning, and then the next three batters struck out. And then I mentioned the Santander double, the Austin Hayes walk with one away in the sixth inning. Then you had a Jordan Westberg line out and a Henderson fly out. And then the last chance they had was in that ninth inning after the Henderson two-out triple. They just didn't really do anything. It was a different Struggle for the Orioles offense, I would say, Wednesday than it was Tuesday. Tuesday was tough because Adam Wainwright's been so bad, but they got a lot of base runners against Wainwright. They got hits. They just didn't come through when they needed to with runners on. Wednesday was more like they weren't even really getting the hits at all and weren't really getting the runners on to start with. I would I would say Wednesday's performance was definitely different and, and definitely worse than Tuesday's was. And, of course, it's different when you get shut out versus, hey, they scored two runs on Tuesday. That would have won Wednesday night's game. Second thing you need to know from this loss is, I mean, that's got to feel good for Drew Rom, right? And I mean, you got to feel a little good for him. You know, a guy who's drafted in the fourth round at a high school by the Orioles in 2018, makes it all the way up to AAA with the O's, even spends two days on the big league roster this year, May 9th and 10th. He was called up to the Orioles to be a long man out of the bullpen. They didn't use him for two days, and then they sent him back to AAA, so he never actually made his major league debut with Baltimore, but spent all that time in the system. Basically, for most of his time in the O's system, he was known for a lot of that time as their third best pitching prospect behind Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. And I mean, basically the whole time in the system, he was regarded as a top five Orioles pitching prospect. He was a pretty good guy, top 20 in the system for most of the time that he was there. And what he did on Wednesday against the Orioles, even though he had been pretty bad coming in in his four first four major league starts with the Cardinals, that was what he did with the O's before they traded him along with Zach Showalter and Cesar Prieto over to the Cardinals at the deadline this year for Jack Flaherty. Rom wasn't having a great year in AAA this year, but his last two seasons, you know, in mostly AA and a little in AAA in the Orioles system, I mean, he was very, very good. And when he was on in the O's minors, it was, you know, 91 to 92, just dotted on the outside corner to right-handers. And then you throw that sweeping slider down and in, and he would just mix between the inside corner and the outside corner. And he, you just couldn't guess what was coming. And he would drop the arm angle and be deceptive, and he would get through games with strikeouts like that. That's pretty much exactly what he did to the O's on Wednesday night. And he's got a good scouting report on a lot of these hitters. He knows them somewhat well, and he goes five and a third scoreless, two hits, seven Ks, and three walks. Didn't give up a hit until the Mateo two-out infield single in the fifth inning. His last batter was the Santander one-out double in the sixth when he left the game, and his bullpen helped him, and the, the O's didn't do anything against the bullpen. Casey Lawrence, Giovanni Gallegos, John King, and Ryan Helsley combined to finish off the game with three and two-thirds and allowed just to hit two walks, four strikeouts, and, and put up more zeros in this game, but but shout out to Drew Rahm. I mean, that had to feel great for him. Yeah, it's unfortunate that the O's just traded him and he pitches that well against him, but 
he talked before the game about how, yeah, you know, it's it's no hard feelings about trading him. I get it, you know, he, that he got it. It's a business. He understands why the O's dealt him. But it still has got to feel good to do that against his old team. Third thing you need to know from the O's 1-0 loss to the Cardinals Wednesday, flipping it over to the Orioles pitching side. I don't know if I'm going to get burned at the stake for this one, but Kyle Gibson pitched well. Just watching out, see if anybody's going to throw anything. Kyle Gibson was really good in this game, and and honestly, I would say he outpitched Drew Rahm, at least with the case that he pitched much deeper into the game. Gibson, I talked about this on yesterday's episode. The Orioles' bullpen was kind of taxed. They made a roster move on Wednesday to try to address that a little bit, but I said it would be huge if Kyle Gibson could give the Orioles seven innings. And I talked about, even if the O's don't win, if Kyle Gibson can go that long into the game and rest the bullpen some for the Rays series, that would be huge. He didn't quite get through seven innings, gave up a two-out double to Andrew Kisner in the sixth and came out of the game, but otherwise was great. Six and two-thirds innings of one-run ball for Gibson on three hits with four strikeouts and three walks. The only run was a Richie Palacios solo home run in the fourth inning that put the Cardinals up one nothing. His third homer in two days for the guy who played right around the corner at Towson University. And that ended up being the only run of the day, of course. But, hey, you know, Gibson, he did allow some hard hit balls, nine of them in six and two-thirds innings. But it was, for Kyle Gibson, his 16th quality start in now 30 starts with the O's. And that is three out of his last four starts or quality starts. I know that bad start against the White Sox was sandwiched in the middle, but it was eight innings, three runs against the Blue Jays, six innings, three runs against the Angels. And now he comes out here and he goes six and two thirds, one run against a pretty good Cardinals order. And he got 13 whiffs, which was pretty solid. The sweeper was dominant. Nine whiffs on 19 swings on that pitch. He was struggling with command a little bit early, but then he found it late in the game. He was good Kyle Gibson again, and I'm going to say it again. Right now, I'm making him the O's fourth starter in the postseason. People aren't going to like it, but look what he just did against a good offense. He's pitching well. He gives him a veteran presence. He's helping the team. He pitched well. He did. Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' loss to the Cardinals on Wednesday is that here was the most unfortunate part of the game. Honestly, more unfortunate than the actual loss itself. Ryan Mountcastle left the game in the third inning with left shoulder discomfort. Now, it happened on a swing, actually in the first inning of this game. He was hitting second, as he generally does, against left-handed starters. And he fouled off a ball against Drew Rahm and was kind of holding his shoulder. Now, the trainer didn't come out, but he, he looked like he was in discomfort. It, it was a 2-2 pitch that he fouled off. Now, the next two pitches he took for ball, so he actually did walk to reach base in that first inning. But then after he got to first, Anthony Sanders, the Orioles' first base coach, called to the O's dugout, called for the trainer, Brian Ebel, to come out there and look at him. Ebel looked at him, you know, did some exercises. He stayed in the game. Then Ebel continued to kind of look at the shoulder in the next couple of innings in the dugout. And when Mountcastle's spot was due up in the third inning, he didn't come out there. And Ramon Arias came out and pinch hit for him and stayed in the game defensively at first base. And that's concerning for Mountcastle. Now, you know, he hasn't been as hot lately. He's gone on a, a little bit of a cold streak over the last week or so. But other than that, since he had returned from the vertigo right around the All-Star break, he'd been one of the Orioles' best hitters, and they had been relying on his production at the plate. And, you know, right now we don't know the severity of it. The Orioles called it left shoulder discomfort as he left the game. And, you know, looking right now, Brandon Hyde said after the game that Ryan Mountcastle is day-to-day -day at the moment. Mountcastle said he felt something pop in the shoulder and said he'll get some imaging tomorrow. And Rockabaco of Masson said that, 
Mountcastle felt concerned about the injury, so hopefully it's nothing too serious. But you feel something pop and you come out of the game, that's never great. We will obviously monitor this, and a little later in this episode, we'll talk about what the O's could do if Mountcastle has to hit the IL, but not a good time for the O's to lose Ryan Mountcastle. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' loss to the Cardinals is, I mean, hey, shout out to the bullpen. You know, Kyle Gibson pitched great, but the rest of the pen did keep it at one nothing. I mean, the Orioles pitching staff in general gave this offense every opportunity to just scratch across one run to tie this game. You get the great start from Gibson. Jacob Webb, a scoreless inning. D.L. Hall gets a big strikeout. Fuji with a 1-2-3 ninth with a strikeout. I mean, everybody that came out there did what they had to do to keep this game one nothing, and the offense just, just couldn't push anything through. You feel good about the pitching staff after that one. Feel good about Kyle Gibson. It's just hopefully the offense will break out of it. And again, you know, I know the narrative about the Orioles, you know, not pitching well against low-velocity pitchers. I'd like to see some harder data about that. I mean, it could be true from what I've seen on Baseball Reference, what I can find against finesse pitchers. They're about as good against what Baseball Reference calls finesse pitchers as they are against what they call power pitchers. Not a huge difference. But again, if that's how you feel, the O's are not really facing quote-unquote finesse pitchers in this four-game series coming up against the Rays, so that should help them out starting this weekend. But the Orioles fall 1-0 on Wednesday, drop the series to the Cardinals, and now just a two-game lead over the Rays in the AL East. But the O's did make a roster move on Wednesday, as guess who? Nick Vespi is back once again. Cole Irvin's in AAA, and they could have to make another roster move coming up here today if Ryan Mountcastle is injured. We'll talk about all that coming up next. But first... This episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, they've got you covered. And you're burning rubber, not cash. So with all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebay.com motors eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. So with a very, very tough-looking offensive performance, one of the worst of the year, the Orioles fall to the Cardinals 1-0 Wednesday night and drop 2 out of 3 against St. Louis in the series. But they also did make a roster move before Wednesday's game. Now, they didn't end up needing Nick Vespi, but the O's felt like they needed to make a bullpen move because until Kyle Gibson went 6 and 2 thirds of one-run ball on Wednesday night, the Orioles' starting pitchers had not been throwing the ball so hot. It had been four straight starts of five innings or less from Orioles starters. That puts a heavy load on your bullpen, and the O's felt like they needed to make a move. And when you looked up and down the pen, unfortunately for him, the easiest move that could have been made was Cole Irvin because he still had options, and Irvin had pitched a lot lately. He had thrown in long relief on both Sunday and Tuesday. That's 72 pitches in the last three days. So essentially you were looking at Irvin probably not being available until Friday at the earliest and most likely not until Saturday 
out of the bullpen. So if you're going to go three days, one man down, and you're already you know, lacking some bullpen depth because of guys pitching so much lately, it made sense to make a move. And they swapped a lefty for a lefty, and they at least did swap out a guy who could also pitch in long relief if they needed it. So Cole Irvin, option to AAA. Nick Vespi comes to the big leagues. Now Vespi, it's another trip to the major leagues for him. And he has one more option remaining. So per the new CBA that went into play last year, you can be optioned a maximum of five times in a season, and that's for pitchers and position players. If a team tries to option you a sixth time, you are subject to go through waivers and you're basically treated like you've been DFA'd. Any other team has a chance to claim you. Now, Vespi has been optioned four times this season, which means he's up here. If the O's send him to AAA one more time, they're totally fine. They can option him again in two days if they want. Nothing will happen. The issue is that next option will be Vespi's fifth and final option. So if they wanted to recall him again later in the season, they would have to then basically DFA him if they wanted to send him down again. So what this tells me, this Vespi move tells me is, the O's are going to probably stick with Nick Vespi out in the pen for a little bit, and then at some point, one of Brian Baker, Mike Bauman, Tyler Wells will probably rejoin the bullpen. But until that happens, Vespi will be there. When they do make that move, and they probably will at some point, Vespi will go back down to AAA, and then he will stay in AAA for the remainder of the season because the Orioles are just not going to want to bring him up and risk having to send him down again and put him on waivers at this point. Now, Vespi in the big leagues this year, nine appearances, 14 and two-thirds innings, a 4-3-0 ERA, 16 hits, seven runs, nine Ks, two walks, two homers in 14 and two-thirds innings. He's been fine, had some good appearances, had some not-so-good ones in an O's uniform. Been good in AAA per usual, 36 and two-thirds innings, 2-4-5 ERA, 26% strikeout rate, which is well above league average to about a league average 9% walk rate for Nick Vespi. We know what he has. It's the left-hander with that cut fastball that's 90 to 91, but it gets in on guys' hands, and he throws that really, really good slider to go with it. He won't be in many high leverage spots, but he can go two or three innings at times, which gives you a long relief option, and he's a nice piece to have out in the bullpen. And again, I think at some point he'll probably be optioned, and that'll be it for Vespi's 2023 with the Orioles. Now for Cole Irvin, you could see him back with the O's, right? He's a starting pitching option that the O's would love to have. And at the very least, he's been much better out of the bullpen than he has been as a starter. Talked about that back on Wednesday's episode. But here's the issue with the Cole Irvin move. Unless another player goes on the injured list, most likely unless another pitcher goes on the injured list and the O's were to recall Irvin. Now, for example, if Mountcastle went on the IL, they could not recall Cole Irvin, because you can't go with 15 pitchers and 13 hitters. has to be 14 and 14. But if a pitcher went on the IL, Irvin could be recalled at any time, and he would most likely be the guy that comes back up. But if no one gets hurt, per the CBA rules, the Orioles have to wait 15 days to recall Cole Irvin. 15 days puts you at September 28th. On September 28th, the Orioles will have four games remaining in the season. September 28th will be the final day of that two-game series against the Nats, and then they'll have, or excuse me, that'll be the first game, actually, I believe, of that series against Boston. Either way, the O's will have four games remaining when Cole Irvin would be eligible to come back. So I don't know if he'll come back. I mean, if the O's feel like they need pitching, or there is a scenario where if this weekend goes well and the O's like have the division put away 
by the time that Red Sox series start. You could see Irvin come back up that weekend to start a game just so the O's can rest one of their other starters and get them ready for the postseason. That's what I could see. But if the O's are still neck and neck with the Rays and fighting for a division when Irvin's eligible, he could come back if they need a fresh arm. But I would say this probably means Cole Irvin doesn't have a great chance of making the playoff roster. Because you're looking at 15 days in the heat of a division race where Irvin's just going to be in AAA. And yeah, he's still going to be pitching. And yeah, the O's mostly know at this point what they have in Cole Irvin. But they won't get to experiment more with him out of the bullpen using him in different roles and seeing what he could be in the postseason. So I feel like this move kind of does put a damper on Irvin's chances to make that playoff roster. They weren't amazing to begin with, but they definitely took a hit with this roster move. Now, that's the roster move the Orioles made, Vespi up and Irvin down in the bullpen. But I will say there could be another roster move coming, and that is because of the Ryan Mountcastle injury. Now, I mentioned it already. He left the game in the third inning with left shoulder discomfort, and, you know, he didn't seem like... He was feeling great about it after the game, talking to the media, so we shall see. Again, he's going to get more imaging, more testing done today, so hopefully by tomorrow's episode, we'll know more about Mountcastle. But if they do have to put him on the injured list, the O's will bring up a player, whether it's just the 10-day IL or if it's something more serious and he's out for the season. Hopefully that's not the case, but the O's are going to bring up a player. Now, really, I feel like you've got two options right now. I mean, unless you really want to bring up Lewin Diaz, which I don't think the O's are going to do to, you know, go the straight up first baseman move or like a Josh Lester again. I don't think that's going to happen. You have two moves here. One is bringing back Colton Kowser and the other one is calling up Heston Kerstad. I'm pretty sure those are the two moves right now. Now, the Orioles did remove Heston Kerstad from the game in AAA Norfolk on Wednesday night in the fifth inning. He was pinch hit for, didn't look like it was an injury or anything. That doesn't necessarily mean that, oh my gosh, he got removed from the game, he's coming up. What that does is, okay, Mountcastle's hurt. We're not sure of the severity, but we know he's out. Just in case he is severely hurt and we need Heston Kerstad, let's pull him from the game to make sure he doesn't get injured for the rest of this game in Norfolk. It doesn't necessarily mean he's you know already on a plane to Baltimore. All it means is they pulled him just in case they would need him. Here's the cases for the two guys, Kowser versus Kerstad. With Colton Kowser, you do get another option to play the outfield and play a, a solid defense out there for the O's if they need it. A guy who has a dynamic skill set, has been on the roster already, so has already gotten his feet wet a bit with the MLB chances, and and he is already on the 40-man roster, which means you don't need to make a 40-man move. That is certainly a plus of this. Also, Colton Kowser's 10 days that he has to spend in the minor leagues just the 10 days just ended. So he is now officially eligible again to be recalled to the big leagues. Now, I don't know how much you're going to play Kowser if you call him up. If you did go the Kowser option, you'd have Ryan O'Hearn at first base basically every day against a righty. Now against lefties, if you still didn't want to play O'Hearn, you'd have some mix of Anthony Santander, who we saw earlier in the season, and then Ramon Arias, who we saw some on Wednesday night, playing first base for the Orioles if you went with that Colton Kowser option. Now, the other option is Heston Kerstad. Now, you wouldn't know what you're getting from him. You'd know even less than with Kowser because he hasn't been in the big leagues yet. Kerstad in 335 plate appearances in AAA this year, 299 average, 370 on base, 500 slugging, 10 homers, a 116 WRC+, plus, 8% walk rate, 21% strikeout rate. Been pretty good in September, 118 WRC+, plus, with a couple of long balls this month so far in AAA. And... 
you know, he does play first base, corner outfielder slash first base guy, so it gives you more of a legitimate first base option than Kowser would give you, and you wouldn't have to rely as much on guys like Santander and Arias playing much more out of position at first than a guy like Kerstad would be. It's still not his natural position. Kerstad's natural position is corner outfield, but he's had more first base experience than Santander and Arias have. And you've seen what Kowser's done this year at the big leagues. I'm not saying he's going to be bad. I think he's going to be good moving forward. But he did struggle a good bit. And if he struggles like that again, if you call him back up, you could argue that even though you don't know what Kerstad's going to be, it'll probably be better than that. I mean, that's how bad Kowser was for that stretch in the big leagues. Heston Kerstad's got more power than Kowser which could be good for the lineup. Now, either one is a lefty, and that would make things maybe a little tough against left-handed pitching because you'd lose a right-handed hitter in Mountcastle. Bringing in a lefty probably means more starts for a guy like Ryan McKenna against left-handers. But otherwise, the biggest issue with bringing up Kerstad is creating room on the 40-man roster. The Orioles have a full 40-man right now. Kerstad's not on it. So to call him up, you would have to make a 40-man move. And really, there's probably four options to be DFA'd, and maybe even three. I mean, Nick Vespi's one of them, but it would be really weird to DFA him while he's currently on the big league roster. If you feel like he's usable enough to bring him up in September, you're probably not going to DFA him. So really, you got three choices. It's Joey Crable, who just got sent back down to give John Means a roster spot on Tuesday. It's Bruce Zimmerman, who's been up in the big leagues a little bit this year, but been mostly in AAA with mixed results. And then it's Taron Vavra, who has been injured for a lot of the year, really struggled early in the big leagues and wasn't amazing in AAA either. I think the O's would feel okay DFAing Zimmerman or Vavra at this point. And if it meant getting help from Hested Kerstad on their big league roster, I think they would potentially think about doing it. So those are the two options. We'll have to see what the Orioles do. But either way, I don't think whoever gets called up, Kowser or Kerstad, would, would come up and play every day, right? They're going to be in a bench role. The O's are going to find their spots to put them in, especially in a series this big this weekend. Orioles, Rays. The series of the year for the O's. And the series, I mean, the biggest one in a long, long time for Baltimore starts tonight. We will preview game one coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Jace Medical. Now, if you're wondering what is Jace Medical, it's pretty simple. You go online, fill out a form, and then you get prescription life-saving medications sent right to your door. They've got the Jace case, which gives you peace of mind so that you're not just hoping that you have access to the medication you need in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand. And, you know, you can save a lot of money with using the Jace case. And it can be pretty easy as well. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off by using code LOCKEDON at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E, medical.com, promo code LOCKEDON. So the Orioles fell to the Cardinals 1-0 on Wednesday night, dropping the series. And now they move on to the biggest series of the season. The Orioles with a two-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Rays come in for a four-game series here in mid-September. Not a lot of baseball to be played after this series ends. Really what happens in this four-game set will most likely determine 
who wins the AL East. That's how big these games are. Now to set the series, of course, you know, here's how it would look after the series. If the O's get swept, they'd be down two games and they would not have the tiebreaker over the Rays. Remember, there's no more game 163s in Major League Baseball. If you are tied in record at the end of 162 games, it goes to the head-to-head record. The Orioles are now 6-3 and three against the Rays, which is four games remaining, which means they only need to win one to get the tiebreaker. If the O's were swept in this series, they'd be two games back and they'd lose the tiebreaker. If the O's got one out of four, they'd be even with the Rays, but they would have the tiebreaker, which means if they finished even, they would win the division. If the O's can split, they'll stay at two games up and still have the tiebreaker. If the O's win three out of four, That'll be a pretty good spot. They'll be four games up with a tiebreaker. And if the O's could somehow sweep, they'd be six games up with a tiebreaker, and they'd be very, very close to clinching the AL East after this series ended. So a big swing can happen with this series. Now, worst case scenario, O's need to take at least one game because that one game is basically two. Because once you win one, you get the tiebreaker, which gives you another win on top if you finish tied with the Rays. And if you still win one, worst that happens is you end the series tied with the tiebreaker, so you're still in first place at the end of the series. Only way the Orioles can lose first place is if they're swept in all four games. Now, the Rays have named their starters. Orioles named their starters. We talked about it. It's Bradish tonight. They're going with Flaherty Friday. They're going with Grayson Saturday and Kramer Sunday. Rays are going with the top four in their rotation. Aaron Savali goes tonight. Zach Eflin on Friday. Tyler Glasnow on Saturday. And Zach Littell goes on Sunday. So let's take a look at the game one matchup here tonight to finish off today's episode of the podcast. National TV game, it'll be on Fox, a 7.15 p.m. Eastern time start. I'll be at the ballpark for this one. So excited to get there to see this series kick off. Orioles and Rays, Kyle Bradish gets the ball for the O's, the 3.03 ERA. Had two pretty good starts against the Rays this year and just continues to roll out quality starts for the Orioles. And Aaron Savali goes for Tampa Bay, a 2.96 ERA on the season. Now, Savali had kind of an interesting year. He was traded from the Guardians to the Rays at the deadline. In his 13 starts with the Guardians this year, he had a 2.34 ERA. In his seven starts with the Rays since the deadline, a 4.29 ERA. So it's not been as good. His strikeouts have gone way up, but he's given up many more runs in a Tampa Bay uniform so far. Now, Aaron Savali did not pitch against the Orioles when he was with the Guardians earlier this year. He was actually injured when Cleveland came to Baltimore back in May. Savali has only started against the Orioles once in his career. He's been in the big leagues since 2019. That start was June 5th of 2021 in Baltimore. It was a 10-4 Guardians win that day. Savali went six innings, allowing four runs on seven hits with four Ks, no walks, and three home runs. Cedric Mullins got him for two long balls on his way to his 30-30 season, and Ryan Mountcastle hit one out against Savali as well. It's a lot of different fastballs. He throws a cutter, throws a sinker, and a four-seamer, and he's got a curveball and a slider. It's a wide pitch mix. The Rays have altered it a bit, but you're going to see a lot of cutters from the right-hander. And again, even with a little bit of struggles with the Rays at times, he's been really, really good this year for Tampa Bay. Should be a very good pitching matchup in Game 1. In terms of the bullpens, big parts of both of these teams, the Orioles and the Rays, Orioles look like they'll probably have Jorge Lopez unavailable. He's thrown four of the last six days, including 31 pitches on Tuesday. They probably won't have him tonight, but he should be back Friday. And then questionable availability for both D.L. Hall and Shintaro Fujinami. 
if I had to guess, I would say Hall probably not available, and Fuji's like 50-50. If you could throw a short inning, they could go with him, but everybody else seems to be good to go in the pen. On the Rays side, they only have one unavailable reliever. Most likely, Jake Diekman is unavailable through 30 pitches on Tuesday, and then although he only threw seven or eight pitches, he did pitch again Wednesday, which means Diekman probably not available out of the pen, but the rest of those big-time arms in the Rays bullpen will be available, it looks like on Thursday night. Going to be a big one in game one of this crucial series. I mean, I don't think this is hyperbole. Like, this might be the biggest Orioles regular season series since the September 2012 series against the Yankees, the Cal Statue game series when the O's and Yankees were jostling for first place in the AL East. I don't think that's crazy to say. I think it's the biggest regular season series since then. And I will be back tomorrow to recap everything we see from game one of that series and get any injury updates we may get on Ryan Mountcastle. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.